When George Mueller died in 1898 at the age of 92, massive crowds of people filled the streets of Bristol, England to pay their last respects. And among those crowds were over 10,000 orphans whom Mueller had cared for during his life. Some 64 years earlier, when Mueller built his orphanages, there were no official orphan care systems or foster care systems in England or anywhere else in the world. And so Mueller built five orphanages that could accommodate over 3,600 children at a time. He opened Christian schools that educated 16,000 children and adults. He started a Bible society that distributed tens of millions of tracts and Bibles all over the world. He did all this while pastoring the same Baptist church and preaching three times a week for almost seven decades, preaching nearly 10,000 times. Then, at the age of 70, he fulfilled his lifelong dream of becoming a missionary and spent the rest of his life, the next 17 years, traveling to 42 different countries and preaching to a total of somewhere around 3 million people. Famously, he did all of this without ever asking for a dime or a pence, I guess, in England. At the age of 25, he gave up his salary and relied on the Lord to provide for all the needs of his family and his ministry by prayer alone. He did all this through poor health and much sorrow. He outlived his entire family, including all four of his children. Without a doubt, George Mueller experienced extraordinary success and also extraordinary sorrow. But at the same time, he also experienced extraordinary happiness. For all the stress of all his responsibilities and for all the sorrow of his life, he was known by all who knew him as a happy man. So what was the secret to his extraordinary happiness and success? How did this man who had so much stress and sorrow, how did he obtain so much happiness? And how can we be happy? How can we be happy like George Mueller and live a happy life no matter our circumstances? Well, we don't have to wonder because he told us. Here's what he said in one of his sermons. In what way shall we attain to this settled happiness of soul? How shall we learn to enjoy God? How can we obtain such an all-sufficient, soul-satisfying portion in him as shall enable us to let go the things of the world as vain and worthless in comparison? I answer this happiness is to be obtained through, what do you think he said? If you were George Mueller, how would you fill in the blank? Well, you'll have to wait a little while to find out what he said, but if you will look closely with me at this text, I don't think you'll surprised at his answer once we get there. Because the way to have a happy life is right here, right here in front of us in Psalm 1. It's by no accident that this is the first of the 150 Psalms. The book of Psalms is not just a random collection of ancient Hebrew hymns. It has a deliberate structure that communicates a message 
about how we as sinful humans living in a sinful world can delight in a holy God. How we can be happy. Psalm 1 starts us on this path to happiness, on the way to a happy life. In fact, that's the first word of the psalm, happy. Now, I know most of you probably have a translation like mine that begins, blessed is the man. But the first word means happy. And some versions even translate it that way. This whole psalm shows us the way to be happy men or women by contrasting two radically different ways people pursue happiness. One is the way of the wicked. The other is the way of the righteous. One is the way of the world. The other is the way of the word. This psalm is a contrast between the wicked who follow the way of the world and the righteous who follow the way of the word. The contrast starts immediately in the first verses. Look there with me. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. To start on the way to happiness, you must stop following the way of the world. The happy man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't live according to the way the world thinks he should live. And he does not stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't associate with sinful, worldly lifestyles. And the happy man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't join or give approval to those who mock God by their sin. The psalmist gives us three groups of three. You notice them? Walk, stand, sits, counsel, way, seat, wicked, sinners, scoffers. By doing so, he's giving us a comprehensive description of a worldly person who completely conforms to the sinful ways of the world in their heart and mind and in their words and deeds. This is not the way to happiness. This is the broad way that leads to destruction, as we will see later. The way to a blessed and happy life is described in verse 2 by way of contrast. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The translation here probably isn't strong enough. The original uses the language of a sharp contrast. It should probably say instead or in contrast. The happy man does not follow the way of the world. Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His joy, his happiness is not found in the world. Instead, it is found in the word of God. The law of the Lord here is a reference to the entire Old Testament and today to the entire Bible. The happy man loves the Bible and he meditates on it all throughout the day, day and night. But there's more to his delight than just a mental aspect. Remember, the comparison here is with a wicked man who totally is given over to living like the world. So the implication is that the happy man doesn't just think about God's word, he does it. He's not a hearer only deceiving himself, but a doer of the word. Part of his meditation is figuring out how to do God's word, how to apply it to his life. His delight is in meditating on and applying God's word to his life. That's his joy. That's his love. And that's where it's got to start. The way to happiness starts with a different love than the sinful world. 
It's not enough to just say the way to happiness is to stop living like the world and to start meditating on and applying God's word. Because most of the things that we think and do and say are simply the natural result of the desires of our heart. That's what Jesus said. He said things like, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That's a lot of really bad stuff. And Jesus says, it all comes out of here. It all comes from our hearts. What we love shapes who we are and what we do. And so the sinful man described in verse one is not merely someone who lives like the world. He is someone who loves the world. His delight is in the world. But that is not the way to happiness now or in the future. It's the way to a miserable life. And so if we love the world and act like the world and think like the world and talk like the world and entertain ourselves like the world and spend our time and money like the world and raise our children like the world and do everything else like the rest of the world, then we should not be surprised when we are anxious and depressed like the world. But instead, if we love the word of God and we meditate on it, and apply it to our lives all throughout our day, then we will be happy. And by meditating on it and applying it to our lives, we are cultivating a greater love for it. When the Bible uses the word meditate here in verse two, it means something more like thinking out loud than it does silent reflection. It's the same word used elsewhere in the Bible for the sound of lions growling or people muttering. The Hebrew word even sort of sounds like those noises. It's kind of like our English word murmur. Biblical meditation is more like a brilliant but slightly quirky physics professor walking across campus muttering to himself as he's trying to solve some riddle of quantum mechanics. It's a lot more like that guy than it is like the guy who's sitting silently on the ground with his eyes closed and his legs crossed and his thumb and his middle finger touching one another. Biblical meditation is, is a way of filling the mind. The world meditates to empty the mind, but the happy man meditates to fill his mind, specifically to fill his mind with the word of God. In order to cultivate a love for God's word and meditate on it and apply it to our lives, listen, we're gonna have to do more than just read it for a few minutes in the morning and then take off and forget about it the rest of the day and never think about it again. We're gonna to have to keep bringing it back to our minds as we go about our day at work or at school or at home so that we can apply it to new situations that arise. One practical way we can do this is by memorizing it, which is probably what the happy man in this Psalm did. Because back in the day in Israel, they didn't have books or Bibles like we do today. They had scrolls that were extremely rare and valuable and always kept in the synagogues. And so the way to bring God's word back home or to work, to meditate on it, in order to do that, the happy man had to memorize it. And memorizing God's word is still a good way to meditate on it today. Whether we're busy running a whole bunch of orphanages like George Mueller, or just running a whole bunch of errands around town. 
If we memorize God's word, we can bring it with us in our minds, even when we can't read it or listen to it. Now, I know some of you say that you're just not good at scripture memory, that no matter how hard you've tried, you just can't memorize Bible verses. I know you say that, but I don't believe you. I don't believe you because even though you may think you have a bad memory, somehow you know every word to all your favorite songs on your favorite radio station or on your favorite Spotify playlist. And honestly, I think that a lot of you know more words to Taylor Swift's catchy song 22 than you know the words to King David's inspired Psalm 22. And I've got a bad feeling that some of you have committed to memory more lines of the office than verses from the Bible. <laughs> so let's just go ahead and settle the issue once and for all, that it's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of proclivity. It's not fundamentally an issue of the mind. It's fundamentally an issue of the heart. If you love the word of God, you will keep it in your heart and mind, just like you do the trivial songs and jokes that you love. This is the way to a happy life, to love the word of God and meditate on it and apply it to our lives all day long. When we love the word, we'll take a verse or even just a word or two from our morning devotional and we'll turn it over in our minds throughout the day. We'll make flashcards with scripture on them, or we'll download a scripture memory app so that we can keep it in our hearts and minds. Loving the word of God is the way to a happy life. We must love the word, and as we will see in the next verses, we must live the word. These next two verses vividly illustrate the contrast made in the first two verses. The psalmist takes us outside to nature to show us a picture of what he's talking about. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. The happy man loves differently than the worldly man. He lives differently than the worldly man. And so he looks differently than the worldly man. His life looks like a vibrant green tree, flourishing and fruitful and full of life. The reason why is because he's planted by constantly flowing streams of water, which would have been absolutely essential given the kind of weather that they have in Israel. Israel has a mostly Mediterranean climate. That means they don't have four seasons like we do, but just two, a rainy season and a dry season. And during the dry season, from May to September, it will not rain at all. And so during those five months, most plants shrivel up and the ground gets hard and dusty. But this tree is planted by a never-ending stream of water, so its leaf does not wither. It's, it's always green. It's always fruitful, even in the dry season. It's evergreen. That's the picture the psalmist wants to show us of the life of a happy man who loves God's word and meditates on it day and night. He flourishes in every season of life because he is always nourished by the living water of the word of God. He's always fruitful. He's always prosperous. That's what the end of verse three says. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, hold it right there. 
before your mind starts getting all Joel Osteen, prosperity gospel on me, let's think about this statement for a minute. What does that mean? In all that he does, he prospers. Is it a statement of a, is that statement a principle or a promise? Well, according to God's word, the answer is both. Because in general, the man who follows God's word will be successful in an earthly way. In general, not lying and not stealing from your customers is usually a way to have a successful business. In general, not being lazy but working hard as unto the Lord is a good way to be a successful student or parent or employee. I say in general because we can all think of examples of Christian businesses who've had to close their doors for good or Christians who've been laid off or failed exams. So in one sense, it is a general principle. But in another sense, it is an absolute promise. In all that we do spiritually, we absolutely will prosper temporally and eternally. God has promised that in places like Romans 8, 28 and 1 Corinthians 15, 58. For those who love God, all things work together for good. In the Lord, our labor is never in vain. Even if that evangelistic conversation with your lost neighbor doesn't seem to go anywhere, it hasn't been in vain because as God's word promises, he says in Isaiah, God's word will not return to him empty, but will accomplish that which he purposes and will succeed in the thing for which he sent it. That word succeed in Isaiah 55, 11 is the exact same word here in Psalm 1 translated prospers. So yes, all our efforts for God's glory and our spiritual good and the spiritual good of others will succeed in an ultimate sense. If we are sinking our roots deep down into God's word and filling our lives with his life-giving truth, then we will succeed in bearing fruit in season when the time comes. But in order for that to happen, we must remain firmly planted in God's word, no matter the season of life we're in. We must live the word of God by daily meditating and applying it to our lives, even in the dry, hard seasons of life. I know sometimes you don't always feel like reading the Bible. I know sometimes life is crazy and work is crazy and the kids are crazy and just doesn't feel like you have the energy or the time to meditate on it. I know some mornings you get up and you read it just because you feel like you have to and there's no real delight in it. I know you do because sometimes I feel that way too. But the solution in the dry seasons of life is not to rip up the roots of the tree and plant it down in the desert of the world. The solution is not to stop reading the Bible until you just feel like it. Because if in those dry seasons of life, when you don't feel like it, when you don't feel like you're growing or thriving, if you will keep your life rooted in the living word of God, then the leaves of your faith will not wither when trials come. If you stay rooted in the living word, then even in dry seasons, when the winds of various trials blow across your life, then your faith will not come crashing down to the ground. And when the time comes and the seasons change, you will bear fruit. 
by living in the word of God through meditation and application, the spirit will produce in our lives the spiritual fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So don't give up on the word in the dry seasons of life. Don't give up in the hard seasons of life. Even if you have to say goodbye to loved ones over and over and over like George Mueller did. The way to a happy life is to love the word and live in the word day and night, no matter the season you're in. If you do that, you will be like a flourishing, fruitful tree, which is the complete opposite of how the psalmist describes the wicked worldly man in verse four. Look with me there. The wicked are not so, but it's the same strong language of contrast here that we saw earlier. Unlike the happy man who is like a fruitful tree full of life, instead, the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Whenever I read this verse, I can't help but think of a time when I was living as a missionary down a tiny little village in the mountains of Peru. And in order to get to know the men and share the gospel with them, I would go out in their fields and work all day alongside them. One summer while I was down there, Jake Hancock came down with a team. And one day we went out in the fields with a man named Abel, deep down in this valley called Anshama. You remember going to Anshama, Jake? Of course you do. I say that because the way to get down to that valley was like straight down. It was like an hour hike straight down. But to get back, it was so steep. I want to say it was like two hours hiking just straight up to get back to the village. But down in that warm valley is where this particular kind of bean grew really well. And the way they would harvest those beans is they would wait until the plant was completely dead. I mean, yellow and dry and brittle and then they would pluck it from the ground. All the roots and the leaves and the pods and the beans, everything, and you would take it and you would stick it in your sack. And then once your sack was full, you would take it over to this pile and dump it on top of the pile on top of this blanket. And that's where Jake and one of our buddies were. And all day long, their job was to just stomp on that pile of beans and leaves and sticks, breaking up all the husks and all the beans. And then every now and then, a bell would go over there and he would scoop up that pile of, that mixed pile of broken leaves and husks and pods and beans. He would scoop it up and he would raise it over his head and he would drop it back down onto the blanket. And what would happen is as the wind came down through that valley, it would blow all that chaff away and all that would be left on the blanket were the beans. That's the image of what's going to happen to the wicked in the dry seasons of their life and at the end of their lives that the psalmist is painting for us here. When the end comes, the worthless chaff will be driven away while the righteous fruit will be gathered up and brought home. Because the way to a happy life is to love the word, live the word, and last in the word. That's what we see in the final verses of this psalm. Verse five. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The idea is that the wicked will not withstand the judgment that is coming. They proudly stood in the way of sinners during their life and lived according to the world. But when they die and face judgment, when judgment day comes, they will not proudly stand before God their judge. They will not stand, they will run. They will run for their lives. As John says in Revelation, 
They will run to the hills to hide themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Worldly sinners will not withstand God's judgment. They will be blown away and burned up like chaff. They will not stand around his throne in joy with the congregation of the righteous from every tribe and tongue and nation. The contrast between the final destiny of the worldly man and the happy man is made clear in the final verse. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That is the end of the broad way of the world versus the narrow way of the word. When the psalmist says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, he means that the Lord is intimately involved in the details of their lives. He knows what's going on in their lives and he's watching over them and caring for them all the time, day and night in every season. The righteous are known by God and have come to know God more and more by loving and living in his word. And their end will be the lasting eternal happiness of knowing God, even as they have been fully known by God. But not so for the wicked. They followed the broad way of the world that leads to destruction. And like chaff, they will be carried off to hell and disappear from the face of the earth forever. And not just the wicked, notice, but even the way of the wicked. Not only will evil people perish from the new heavens and new earth, but even evil itself will perish. Won't that be a good day? Won't that be a good day when sin and sorrow and suffering and cancer and anxiety and depression and racism and injustice and rape and war and terrorism and even death itself are blown away like chaff and disappear forever. Evil and evildoers will not last in the new heavens and new earth, but the righteous will. The happy man will last forever, and his happiness will last forever. You know why? Because the word will last forever. You see, ultimately, the way to a happy life is to love, live, and last in the Word. In the Word made flesh. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is Psalm 1 made flesh. Jesus is the blessed man who on the cross was cursed for our sins so that by faith in him, we may be eternally blessed. Jesus is the happy man who on the cross became the man of sorrows so that by faith in him, we may be eternally happy. Jesus is the perfectly righteous man, but who perished like the wicked on the cross so that by faith in him, all his righteousness is counted to us and so that not even a hair of our heads will perish eternally. And as he was hanging on the cross, do you know what he was doing? He was doing the same thing he delighted to do every day and night of his life. 
He was meditating on God's word. He recited from memory the first line of King David's Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His whole life, he had been filled by the living word of God, like a tree planted by streams of water, until on the cross he shriveled up and he was thirsty. And he was blown away in God's wrath for our sins. He withstood the judgment of God as long as it was necessary to pay the penalty for all our wicked deeds. And then he died and he was buried. But three days later, he stood again amongst the congregation of his disciples who by faith in him are counted as righteous and will never perish. If you want to be happy now and forever, there is only one way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. You must repent from following the broad way of the world. By faith in Jesus, you must turn to the narrow way of the word of God. And when you do that, the spirit gives you a new heart and planted deep down in that heart are seeds of new desires and new fruits. You will love the word of God and drink it in like oaks of righteousness planted by streams of water in a dry and weary land. You will live by the word, by the power of the spirit and bear much fruit, spiritual fruit that will last now and forever. And as we love the word and live the word, the weeds of sin in our hearts will wither up and the spirit will blow them away like chaff. That's what happens when by faith we turn to the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. You realize what this all means? It means that to love the word is to love Jesus, the word made flesh. To live in the word is to live in Jesus, the word made flesh. To last in the word is to last with Jesus, the word made flesh forever. Jesus is the way, the only way to have a happy life now and forever. We must love, live, and last in the word and the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. So what do you think? Would George Mueller agree? What did that man who experienced so much sorrow and success and satisfaction, what did he say is the way to happiness? Here's what he said. But in what way shall we attain to this settled happiness of soul? How shall we learn to enjoy God? How can we obtain such an all-sufficient, soul-satisfying portion in him as shall enable us to let go the things of this world as vain and worthless in comparison? I answer, this happiness is to be obtained through the study of the Holy Scriptures. God has therein revealed himself unto us in the face of Jesus Christ. But to read the Bible is not enough. We must seek to become intimately and experimentally acquainted with him whom the Scriptures reveal with the blessed Jesus who has given himself to die in our room instead. Oh, what an abiding, soul-satisfying portion do we possess in him. To love, 
live and last in the word of God is the way to love, live, and last in Jesus, the word made flesh. And that is the way to a happy life now. And that is the way to live happily ever after.